0: Psalm 144. We're going to go through Psalm 144 and Psalm 145 today. I did a little bit of checking this yesterday, actually, to try to see when we started in Psalms, and because it's been a long journey. And we also did like Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. We have one more message or one more lesson in First and Second Kings. We started, I believe, the first week of September in 2018. So We've been going on it for a while. But it's been a great journey. Who knows, maybe we'll start again from the first, start again. Probably not, but anyway. Most of them are out there recorded on sermon audio if you want to listen, if you missed one or something. Psalm 144. This is a psalm of David. It's a Davidic psalm. And from verses 2 and 10, where it says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Then at the end of verse 2, who subdues people under me And then you go down to verse 10. It says, Who gives victory to kings and rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Because of those two lines, it is thought that this was penned after David had become king. We don't know when, but it's thought that this was after he had become king. But regardless of the time of his life when it was written, it's another one of... The Psalms, that is, personal in content. David had no problem bearing his soul and his feelings to the Lord. And we see that here. So we have the introduction in the first two verses. It says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold. And my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Now the one thing that's noticeable, I want you to notice in these verses, is the introduction of this psalm, David calls God my rock, my loving kindness, my fortress, my stronghold my deliverer my shield my steadfast love he is not just the rock even though he is the rock he is not the steadfast love or the fortress but my rock my fortress and for the believer this is not just a subtle difference romans 8 14 to 17 is a great passage for believers that talks about this very thing. Says for all in Romans eight fourteen says for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out Abba Father the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. He is our God. He is our Father. Abba, Father. We can call him Daddy, and that's not in an irreverent sense, but it's in a, it's in a, a sense of intimacy. That he is our God. Just like David says here, he is our God. Not just the God. He is the God, but now we can have a relationship with him. And that's totally foreign to Islam. Where they say, Allah cannot be known. we We have this relationship with the creator God. And then with the foundation that God is his God... Because God is his God, and that is the foundation, David can make the step in appealing to God for deliverance. If God was a God that was not our God and could not be known, could we go to him for deliverance? it would be like talking to a rock wall. But no, he is our God. He is David's God, so he can go to him and ask for deliverance. And then along with the deliverance that God provides is the praise to God. That those who are God's own can call on him who praise him. And we see this at the conclusion of the psalm. We're going to jump ahead a few verses, well all the verses, to verse verse 15. Where it says, Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. If God is your Lord, then you're blessed. Let that sink in for a minute. And then the next thing we have in this psalm, the next portion is verse 3 or 4, where we speak to human frailty. It says, O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, and his days are like a passing shadow. Now, verse 1 and 2 spoke about the many great things of God in describing him as a rock, stronghold, fortress, deliverer, and things like that. Now, you compare that with verse 3. What is man? Like a breath. And these lines are very similar to Psalm 8.4, if you remember way back to Psalm 8, where it says, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And you compare God and man. I mean, massive difference. Massive difference. That doesn't keep a lot of people from thinking that they're pretty special today. Especially those in the NAR movement that say, I'm a little God. And Jesse Duplantis says, God asked me for my opinion. (laughs) Idiots. Idiocy. The difference between God and man is so vast. So we go from this unsurpassed greatness of God to what Spurgeon calls the insignificance and nothingness of man. And the great wonder the great wonder or mystery is this John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life when you think about the unsurpassed greatness of God and the insignificance of man that's an incredible verse And this is a constant theme throughout Scripture. God is great beyond comprehension. And man is exceedingly small in comparison. And then on top of that, man has chosen to actively rebel, not passively rebel, actively rebel against this incredible great God. So you have that. In this and in the active rebellion of man against God and despite that God regards and thinks of man even with the brevity of each one's life that he gave his only begotten son who stooped to become one of these frail creatures as a sacrifice so we those who are like a breath may spend eternity with God and experience his love for eternity that's pretty incredible that's pretty incredible and we could think about that we should think about that all the time understand that and it gives us a, an appreciation for God and an understanding of where we stand we are as some say utterly helpless and david was aware of that even though david at this time we think david was the king of israel he had accurately assessed his condition before god what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him man is like a breath his days are like a passing shadow David accurately assessed his condition before God and we need to do the same we live in a culture that wants to do just the opposite no we need to understand our condition before God and David did and then in verse 5 through 8 help comes from the Lord it says bow your heavens O Lord and come down touch the mountains so that they smoke flash forth the lightning and scatter them and send out your arrows and rout them Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Now, verse 5 and 6 bring to mind what? Exodus 19, 18 and 19. When the nation was out Mount Sinai and Moses went up to the mountain, and we read in Exodus nineteen eighteen. it says this. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Wow. that would have been neat to have been there and see that but the problem if we'd have been there and seen that we might have been tempted we would have been tempted to join oh, with yeah. the people and create a golden calf not a good idea not a good idea because that's when that took place but that's what is brought to mind with verse 5 and 6 here of Psalm 144 Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them and send out your arrows and rout them. And then verse 7, it says, Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. This could be and I think it probably is, a pointing to the parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance from Egypt. In both of these instances, and if it's a different instance, that's fine too, but if those are the two that they're alluding to, God shows his presence and power to the nation of Israel. You could not have gone through the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, and witnessed that And witness God on Mount Sinai without understanding the power of God. Just a little bit of it. And with this in mind, and that David said in verse 1, God was my rock, and my steadfast love, and my fortress, and my stronghold, and my deliverer, and my shield, in verse 2, David is showing confidence in God that he can and that he will continue to provide for his own. Boyce wrote this. He said, David is reflecting on the manifestations of God's presence and power in the past and is asking for something of that same power to be demonstrated in God's deliverance from him of, of him deliverance of him from his present danger david understands and we need to understand we know it may be up here but we need to internalize it more that no one is able to stand against the almighty god no one and david's enemies as mentioned in verse 9 were not enemies simply because they're foreigners They were enemies because they rejected the true God, the God of Israel. In fact, many of David's enemies not only were not uh, not foreigners, they were people within the nation. Ever heard of Absalom? He was an enemy of David. And there were others, many others. So... The, you, the, the, the similarity between the foreigners and the non-foreigners, the enemies of God, is they were rejecting God. They were not followers of God. You know, our enemies come from similar ranks, from the world, as Jesus said in John 15, 18, and 19. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this world hates you. Because of this the world hates you. And Then in Acts 20, 29-31, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore... Be on the alert. And then 2 Timothy 4.1 But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now the service that uh, Jim just gave, the message that Jim just gave, he was talking about the persecution of the people there in Acts 5. The world is going to hate Christianity, and it seems today it's getting very bold in its in its proclamation of that. They're getting bolder by the by the by the week, by the day. But like the psalmist, we need to go to God in verse seven of Acts, uh, Acts. Psalm one forty four: Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Then the next section of this psalm is a song to the Lord. What's David's response? I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. David's response was to sing a song to the Lord. And we see that several times in different psalms, all the way through it. Some examples include Psalm 40, Psalm 68, Psalm 89, Psalm 92, Psalm 96, Psalm 98, and we could go on. And our response should be similar. I was thinking about that verse and reflecting on how nice it is To sing a song to the Lord to praise Him for what He has done, for what He is doing, and for what He will do in the future. Songs that honor God. And when we sing them from a heart of praise, guess what? They praise God, but they also uplift the singer, they uplift us. And we need to focus on that as we sing congregationally and individually. And I think we had a couple songs this morning that kind of did that. You know? They uplifted God and they praised God. They focused on God. I will sing a new song to you, O Lord. Songs, hymns, spiritual hymns can really be effective and be beneficial in our lives, and the people that don't like music, they're missing out. They really are. Then we see in verse eleven to fifteen, God's blessings. And the concluding section of this psalm speaks to the blessings that God will provide. It begins a repeat of the message of verse seven and eight, in starting in verse eleven says, rescue me and deliver me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Very similar to verse 7 and 8. And then it says, may our sons in their youth be like plants full grown and our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our field. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Now the blessings in these verses that are mentioned are... Rescue and deliverance from foreigners. The sons and daughters who are well rooted, and in David's case, cut for the structure of a palace, in verse 12. In verse 13 and 14, provisions of grain, produce, and livestock. And in verse 14, peace in the streets of the land. Then there is that great and concluding verse. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. And this is the indication that God is the source. And without God, guess what? Those blessings wouldn't be there. You wouldn't have them. David Guzik wrote this. Such blessings could only come to God's covenant people when they are loyal to God as they had promised to be loyal in Exodus 24, 3-8. When they looked to Yahweh as their God and Master, rejecting all the idols of nations, the promised blessings were granted. And that, what was true for David and Israel, is also true for believers of all ages. Spurgeon wrote this, he said those who worship the happy god become a happy people then if we have not temporal mercies literally we have something better if we have not the silver of earth we have the gold of heaven which is better still I thought that was probably an interesting interesting statement now, there are a few verses that emphasize this. If we want to go to Psalm 32, it says, Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Romans 4, 7. Oh, I quoted. We'll have to look that up. I have a typo in here. Does someone want to look up Romans four seven? my way if I get past it. Romans four seven says well, almost. Okay. Four seven says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, and those whose sins have been covered. Okay. Then there's Galatians 3 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. And 1 Peter 4. 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Hmm. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of god rests on you remember what jim said earlier in the service mm-hmm. the people who were persecuted they sent them away from the jail and they went away hey this is great you know rejoicing after being flogged, after being, flogged. Oh, being flogged is no it's not like slapping them on the wrist okay it's pretty intense it is lot. ugly it was ugly you know, um, cords with bones and stuff on it, and ripping your back up. It was ugly. And they rejoiced. They rejoiced. Now we can go all the way back. We talked earlier on when we started in the Psalms. September of 2018. Go all the way back to Psalm 1-1. I don't know how many of you were here when we had that session. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Real quickly, that is Psalm 144. You might not have time to read the whole thing. We read through it in little pieces, parts. But now we're going to go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. This is another of David's psalms, and it will be the last psalm of David in the Psalms. This is the last one. Oh, I want more. Well, we can go back and read all the other ones. You know, we only have five left after this, so, you know. But it's also an acrostic Psalm. Acrostic meaning each line starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, there's one I don't want to get us off on a rabbit trail here there's one letter that wasn't there it was is noon um, but then someone found uh, a manuscript that had it in it um, a few hundred years ago and so they think that maybe that was lost but they you know some people put that back in there but other than that it's a full acrostic so because you'll notice there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and there's 21 verses. So there's this, there's this noon out there and I didn't look it up to get it because it's not uh, in most Bibles but um, we, you know, we believe it has been found I guess you might say and this is an interesting psalm it's a psalm that's full of praise to God and Spurgeon wrote this I thought it was a very interesting quote David had blessed God many a time in other psalms. But this he regarded as his peculiar, his crown jewel of praise. In other words, this is the pinnacle. Boyce called it a monumental praise psalm. And a guy named William Van Gemmerman states in the Jewish services this psalm was recited twice in the morning and once in the evening service so this psalm was very familiar to those who went to those services Psalm 145 and it starts with an opening praise in verses 1 and 2 it says I will extol you my God O King I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Now David begins by leaving no doubt where he stands. He says it three times. I will extol you. I will bless your name. And I will praise you forever. And these are three parallel statements. Showing no doubt what is important in the life of David. Now, I will extol you. That's a word that we don't use a whole lot. I can't remember the last time I used that in a sentence. If I ever did. Right? And extol means to praise highly. It's, I will praise you, but no, it's, it's even more than praise. I mean, it's praise highly. And from what we know about God, we have to ask ourselves this question. Can we praise Him too highly? No, we can't. We can't. This is to worship God and to honor God. You know, in today's seeker-sensitive domination of church activities, the praise of God is greatly diminished. I watched an Easter service from this church in Kansas City or someplace. I won't tell you the name of the church, let you come up and ask. It was disgusting. It was worse than disgusting. It was blasphemous. The the pastor of the church actually said, we want to go to the edge on this and we will do everything short of sinning for our Easter service. And they pretty much did, but I think they skipped over the short of sinning. Sinning was God extolled? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And you have all these people um, minimizing God. They're buddies with God, right? One, dish in, one definition of the sinker, seeker-sensitive strategy, and I got this from another place is quote a church in an effort to be quote all things to all people and they quoted first corinthians 9:22 will arrange their sunday gathering to cater to the interests of seekers okay with that being the case meeting to extol god is not the first priority second third or fourth or fifth priority See. All kinds of reasons are given to pursue this seeker-sensitive pattern. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who doesn't go to this church, and I mentioned something about seeker sensitivity. sensitivity, And he said, well, if we just come out and, and, you know, proclaim what the Bible says and people are sinners and are going to hell, no one will come. So... You know, does that mean you just go in there and don't say anything thinking that you're going to bring him with ulterior motives because once you start that you're never going to get to going back to present the gospel in every case that I've seen the interest of seekers in quotes pushes aside the high praise of God and you see it everywhere You see it everywhere David says, I will extol you. I will praise you highly. And that's what we need to do when we come to a a, a church service, to praise God highly. And then he goes on, the next parallel statement, he says, every day I will bless your name. So praising God is not something that's only to be done for the Sabbath in David's case or when we meet, for Sunday services or any other service we meet. It's a great praising God is a great way to spend time every day. <clears throat> Psalm thirty-four one, which is another Davidic Psalm, states, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. There is never a good time not to praise him or there is never a a time not to praise him so it's not just to praise highly but it's not just when we come together we can praise god continually every day and then he says this i will praise you forever third parallel line from this line we see that david is confident that he will continue to praise God after his life was over. It wasn't going to stop when he died. Think about this. I never thought about this before. The thought just came to me as I was studying this. David is currently praising God. Is. You, know? <laughs> you know, you think about history, but no, he's currently praising God. Take a look at Revelation 19, verse 1 to 4. It says, After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Then go to verse 3. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sounds of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. So let's see if we can just kind of figure out what that would sound like. The voice of a great multitude, the sounds of many waters, and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. What's that? Hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah chorus. Yeah. It's the line out of it. Yes. I mean, I just sit there and just remember years and years and years and years ago. This is a long time ago, but I still remember it. I was on the campus of Ohio State University one time and they were having a football game. And I was not in the football game. And I was walking along their campus, and the football game was going on, and all of a sudden you heard the roar of the crowd. 80,000 people or something. And it was just, you know. I thought, wow, that's pretty neat. That's nothing compared to this. Nothing compared to this. The voice of a great multitude, and the sound of many waters, and the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Put all that together. And he said, it was like that, but it wasn't right saying hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty reigns we get to do that without end if you, if you have insomnia some night open up revelation 19:1 to 4 and just read it close the bible lay back down and just try to visualize and if you don't go to sleep, you'll have great thoughts. And if not, it'll just take all your anxiety away and go, wow. That's pretty cool. Going on. Verse, verses 3 to 7, we see the greatness of God. It says, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wonderful works I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. You know, the more we know and the more we find out about God, the more we know we don't know. But that doesn't mean learning about him is wasted time. Like, oh, I just to give up. I'll never get there. It's just the opposite. The time spent in that pursuit is going to be extremely worthwhile. And then, as we learn, we can do what verse 4 says. One generation shall praise your works to another. To praise God's works to the next generation. Well, what are the mighty acts that God has done? It says, I will declare your mighty acts in verse 4. Well, creation began it all. And that's beyond our scope to understand. I mean, how did God create something out of nothing? How did he design the atom? And how it all works? The more we find out about our plant in the universe the more there is to uncover about God's universe. And that's what a lot of scientists did way back when. When they were trying to figure out the universe, they thought the more we know about the universe, that tells us more about God. And then they came in with friends like Darwin and those people and kicked God out of the equation, and then the whole purpose of science kind of south. And that's pretty incredible. And there are many other great works that, that that he has done. But I have to place, not only way near the top, but probably at the top, is the act of redeeming lost sinners and providing eternity with him. Is there anything mightier than that? Or anything that shows the glory or the splendor more than that? I don't think so. These are acts of God that are not seen in creation but seen in the miracles he has performed in those in the lives of those who have put their trust in him. We're going to see it later in this psalm that David brings up God's everlasting kingdom leaving us to understand that as incredible as the physical things of this world are and they're pretty incredible we should tell of his greatness and what he is still doing and what greatness there is to come in the lives of people and what he will do and the result of this passing of this greatness of God is that they will eagerly verse 7 they will eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness that's going to be the result as we see what God has done his mighty acts changing the lives of people providing salvation we will eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness shout joyfully not just Now in verse 8 and 9 we see the graciousness of God the lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and great in loving kindness the lord is good to all and his mercies are all over are over all his works and this is very similar these two verses to what moses wrote in exodus 34 verses 5 to 7 Again, this is what took place while he was on Mount Sinai. We read in verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. (coughs) Spurgeon wrote this. He said, What an ocean of compassion. What an ocean of compassion there must be since the infinite God is full of slow to anger. Even those who refuse his grace yet share in long-suffering. In verses 3 to 7 of Psalm 145, the focus was on God's greatness. In verses 8 to 9, the focus changes to God's mercy and His graciousness. And when we see how men curse God and they blaspheme God, they challenge God. Oh, I've watched some stuff this week of guys who would be maybe yeah some of them would call themselves Christian even probably they, they challenge him. you know well this is really if God was really dumb to do this you know just absolutely arrogance. but God still shows his mercy and he gives them time to repent and come to him. Well most won't repent, they won't follow that path. Some do. And when they do so, they find a loving father waiting to pardon. Look at the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. What happened when the prodigal son came back? The father ran to him, which was very unusual for that culture, quickly embraced the repentant son and said, Let's kill the fatted calf that's what god does even to people who have challenged him who have cursed him who have blasphemed him he does that and he is slow to wrath doesn't mean the wrath's not going to come but he gives them time to repent and again some will and some of us have or all of us hopefully have And then in verse 10 to 13, we see everything praises God. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Everything God does deserves our praise. And as believers, we should be the first to do this. We should be anxious to, as it says here, make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of his kingdom. McLaren put it this way. He says, the receipts, excuse me, the recipients of his grace should be the messengers of his grace. And Spurgeon wrote this. I remember, Spurgeon lived mid-1800s. He died about 1870, 1880, somewhere in there. So he wrote this 150 plus years ago. Compare it to today. Quote, I consider one of the great lacks of the church. Nowadays, not so much Christian preaching as Christian talking. Not so much Christian prayer in the prayer meeting as Christian conversation in the parlor. How little do we hear concerning Christ? Way back then. Yeah. How little do we hear concerning Christ? Because it says here, as it says here, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. Is that our talk? I need to think about that. Is that our talk? And then we have... The next section, the provision of God, or God provides in verse 14 to 20. Can I bring out something? Okay. Sure. You mentioned the missing letter, the nun. Yeah. Um, my Bible has in brackets, um, as a second of verse thirteen: the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. And my footnote says... That they this is provided by the um, Hebrew man's manuscript, the Septuagint, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm, okay. So, um, and I kind of googled it. There's arguments about. So you've been googling while I've been talking. Oh. <laughs> Not too much, did I? <laughs> she hears you talk. She's an active listener. There you go. No, that's good. Thank yeah. you. Thank but, but, you for bringing that, those that are, up. Those are in brackets, in right in my Bible. Just now, which Bible do you have there? Which the one? ESV. Okay. With there that, you go. No? So that makes it then the full acrostic of all. The hebrew words uh, hebrew letters okay verse 14 th- no thanks for bringing that up verse 14 through 20 god provides it says the lord sustains all who fall and rises up all who are bowed down the eyes of all look to you and you give them your food in due time you open your hand. And satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Starting in verse 14, there are several things that are listed where God provides. These include, he sustains in verse 14, he sustains all who fall and rise up, all those who are bowed down. You know, it's really easy to squash the small the the powerless, the insignificant. It's easy to do that. But God shows compassion on those. He rises up all those who are bowed down. Think of the words of Jesus at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy falls right into what he's saying here and then we see <clears throat> verse 15 the eyes of all who the eyes of all look to you you give them their food in due time i read that thing and i said you know what nature doesn't provide food god does All of creation is His, and He made it in such a manner that we have food. It's easy to lose sight of that. Well, yeah, you know, put a seed in the ground and upgrow something, and we eat it, or animals that we use for food, whatever, fish. God made all that, He provided all that for us. It's so easy to think, "Oh yeah, well, we do this." No. We couldn't do anything if God wouldn't have made the seed and the plant and the whole the whole thing of watering and that whole thing. God provides food. And then David Guzik commented on that on this description of God and he says, quote, With this description of God, we see how different Yahweh, the true and living God, is compared to the idols of the nations that they had at that time. Those supposed gods were often very angry and petulant, caring little for either humanity or for, for creation. And then in verse 17 to 19, we see that God is here, nearer to those who call on him, and he hears their prayers. We just saw how God provides food for all. And if he provides food for all, should it surprise us that he hears and is near? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Notice in verse 19, it says, God will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. On this topic, Franz Adelich, who is uh, about a century, a century ago that he wrote, he said, Fear and love of God belong inseparably together. For fear without love Is an unfree, servile disposition. And love without fear, bold faced familiarity. The one dishonors the all gracious one, and the other the all exalted one. They go together. And then in verse 20, he keeps those who love him. So in all these ways, God shows his love, his faithfulness, his compassion, his mercy, and we could go on and on. We could pile things on top of that. The promises of redemption from the penalty from, from the penalty of sin to the believer. And the Apostle Paul kind of mirrored what David is saying here in Philippians four nineteen to twenty. For he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And with all that, the list that we see in Psalm 145 should cause me and it should cause you to join David with a heartfelt loud praise on verse 21 what is that my mouth will speak the praise of the lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever so let's read through this psalm from the beginning what's been called a monumental praise song or the crown jewel of the praise of david the last the last of the davidic psalms in, you know, in, in Numbers for the, in, in the Psalms it says this I will extol you my God O King I will bless your name forever and ever every day I will bless you I will praise your name forever and ever great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known the sons of men, your mighty acts, and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and rises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, And you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Pretty cool psalm. Let's pray.